Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Macedonia United Methodist Church. My name is Kevin Johnson. I'm pastor here. It is a joy to welcome you this morning to worship during this Advent season. Uh, for many of you, or at least if you open the emails, uh, you get to see my shining face each and every morning, which I know is just a thrill to you um, to watch two and a half minutes of me uh, rambling on uh, after someone brilliant writes a book and then I try to distill it for you. Um, but anyway, the, um, the Advent for Everyone study is, is a week in. If you didn't get a book yet or you're interested in doing it, or even if you didn't sign up, there's still books available in the Narthex, and I welcome you to take one of those and join us um, for that study. It follows along with the lectionary text for each Sunday, and then each, each day uh, falls along with the theme of, of what's going on um, in that week of Advent. So I just invite you to join us for that study and to, um, to join in, in, in reading a bit of scripture each day and also reflecting um, upon God's word. And, and um, N.T. Wright, who writes that study, um, is, is both a, a brilliant scholar and also someone who makes things understandable um, that, that are otherwise difficult. Also, if you're joining and starting this week, it's going to be a lot easier than the first week stuff was. So that's great. Um, so that, 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 that's a winner for it, too. This morning, uh, we're going to be in week two of Advent is always John the Baptist week. Uh, and so, so we're going to be hearing of John the Baptist this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, starting in chapter three. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the desert of Judea, announcing, change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. He was the one of whom Isaiah the prophet spoke when he said the voice of one shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem throughout Judea and all around the Jordan River came to him. As they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Many Pharisees and Sadducees came to be baptized by John. He said to them, you children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives, and don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. I baptize with water those of you who have changed your hearts and lives. The one who is coming after me is stronger than I am. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn. But he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, for you, O oh Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I forgot how fun it is to read a message about being children of snakes uh, to the congregation, so sorry. Thanks for letting me. Uh, I remember in high school, they had us read Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, um, which is a terrifying uh, text, but it was really fun to preach that out loud. Uh, in class my sophomore year of high school. So anyway, John the Baptist's message um, it begins with these words, in those days. 
is how Matthew begins this text. In those days is a pronouncement in the Bible that we are about to enter into an epic story. In those days is how someone would know that a prophet's story was being told. In those days is how we encounter Elijah wandering along the Wadi River. In those days, Isaiah had a vision of the Lord seated on the throne with the train of his robe filling the temple. And when I read this passage for today in this week, it seems like John the Baptist is literally picked up and dropped onto the scene, like he just appears in the middle of the desert. He's a little bit wild and eccentric. He wasn't raised to be this wild man. His dad was a priest in the temple. But in Matthew's gospel, this is the first mention of John the Baptist. His birth isn't foretold. Mary doesn't go and visit Elizabeth like she does in Luke. Instead, John the Baptist appears on the scene in those days and announces, change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. Now the translation, change your hearts and lives, is really of one singular word in the Greek, which is often translated, repent. We just don't use that word very much in English today. I doubt that you use the word repent often in your daily life and existence. So change your hearts and lives helps define it for us. I believe that what John the Baptist is saying is that in order to receive the king, we must change. In order to receive the king, we must change. This is why he's out in the wilderness proclaiming the message from Isaiah to prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. In the devotional reading for today in Advent for Everyone, N.T. Wright describes what preparing the way and making a roadway for God might look like. He describes a motorcade that comes into town for a king or a president. You've seen those motorcades come in, right? The motorcycles begin with their, with their lights blaring, followed by the black cars, their SUVs, the security detail, and finally by that leader's car. The way has been marked and planned, right? Roads have been blocked leading up to that way, all ready to receive the king. But here John the Baptist is out in the wilderness where there are not any roadways. And what he is saying is that the people of Israel better make a roadway for the king. They better start getting it dug out and making it straight so the king has a good way to enter. The issue, however, is that the people were not ready for the king to come, even the most devout people. In fact, John the Baptist makes clear that some of the people considered most religious who would have been voted closest to God in their high school directory, they have the most work to do. For in order to receive the king, John declares that we must change. Which sounds easy for us, but the problem is this. Changing is hard. Oh, we think that we can change and that we are so different until we realize that all the ways that we are like our parents until we see those old habits that we have dying hard. And John lays out his message of change to the religious leaders. He starts by calling them children of snakes, or infamously, a brood of vipers, which I don't think was a kind term 2,000 years ago either. And his message to them is simply this, do it. To truly live lives that show a change. Don't talk about it but do it. 
Stop trying to show that you're religious and do all the right things. Stop trying to justify yourselves before God. John's description of fruit on a tree means this. It means that fruitfulness is a display of repentance, is a display of a changed life. And living out our faith is proof, John says, that we have truly changed. When I think about fruit in the Bible, my mind goes to that passage about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians where Paul writes that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you don't get this fruit that Paul talks about by trying harder. That's not what John is proclaiming. The reality, rather, of fruit is this, right? When you poke an orange, orange juice comes out, right? That's what happens when you poke an orange. You can't get orange juice by poking kale, right? It doesn't work like that. If you poke kale, nothing really comes out, right? Um, but it tastes pretty good if you like massage it enough uh, and cover it in Caesar dressing. But anyway, um, but, but if you poke an orange, right, the kind of juice that that is comes out, right? And if you poke kale, no orange juice. That's what the Pharisees are trying to do. They want to display fruitfulness. They want orange juice to come out of them without changing a bit. And they're as bitter as Swiss chard or something like it, right? Don't we want the same things? Don't we want to appear like good people? Don't we want to seem like we're righteous? Don't we want to show God that we are worthy of his love and his attention? Well, God, I, I went to church this week, right? John the Baptist is a reminder to all of us that we are not worthy. For his language is a reminder that the king is coming who is the judge. This is why Advent is not yet Christmas. We are not even close to ready to receiving the king. John's message to us is vital, for we cannot change on our own. To receive the king, remember, we must change. And to change, we must submit to the way of the king. To change, we must submit. Ew. We hate that word, submit. It has awful connotations for us of slavery, of sexism, of domination. And those are all misuses and abuses of power. But in order to change to the way of the king, we have to submit to the rule of the king. John the Baptist was preaching a baptism of repentance. The baptism was a part of it, a symbol, a cleansing for what needed to happen on the inside of a person. N.T. Wright describes it this way. Going through the motions of baptism wasn't enough. Real repentance meant a complete and lasting change of heart and life. This was the only way to get the road ready for the coming king. I find it interesting that crowds were flocking to this out-of-the-way place in the wilderness in order to hear John the Baptist's message. It's kind of strange. Like, this was not right in Jerusalem. This was out of the way in the wilderness. People flock today to out-of-the-way out places that are pleasant. Think about people going out of the way to go to a cool restaurant in Kinston or something like that. But crowds were going to hear John the Baptist in order to hear a message about repentance. 
And we hear a message that they should repent and change. A message that change was needed. And the change was not the change of society or of rulers or a politician's message of change. The change, rather, was about you. About you personally. Perhaps the people of Israel recognized that their attempts at self-righteousness always came up short. Maybe deep within us, we want a message of repentance and submission. Maybe our self-help culture actually leaves us unfulfilled. It's interesting that right next to the religious section in the bookstore, those things that we're used to go and buy books, um, right next to it is usually the self-help section. As if those things have become so conflated that we don't see the difference between the two. John is telling us that the king is coming And in order to live in the reign of this king, we should submit to his rule in our lives. Of course, we understand that when Jesus comes, this submission to a king looks very different than we would have imagined. It looks like humility and gentleness and mercy and justice. What's interesting is that John comes announcing that this king and judge is coming. He is warning and preparing the people to receive the king. And when the king arrives on the scene, his message is identical to John the Baptist. In fact, Jesus' first words of ministry in Matthew, in chapter 417, just a page later, are these. Change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. The difference is that now the judge is the one saying the words. John baptized with water to prepare the people and remind them to change. When Jesus comes, he baptizes with fire, purifying and refining us. So why would we willfully submit to Jesus? Because when we submit, we are able to receive the king. When we submit, we are able to receive the king. I know that how I think about God and how I like relating to God, I have come to love this idea that we as humans are our co-creators with God. We like this idea of what it means to be made in God's image. We like language about partnership with God. But this sometimes leads us to forgetting just how powerful God is. We sometimes talk like Jesus is our buddy. It's kind of like when every parent has to come to the realization that they cannot just be their kid's friend or buddy. Because if they're only that, It doesn't serve the child well. You've met those people when they became adults. So we get to the point where the kid pitches a massive fit and tells you they don't like you or even that they hate you because you're not being nice. And in those moments, the parent has to hold the line, keep the boundary, and remind them that we love them and that we are the parent. And that's a parent's job. I've never had that personal experience before. It is... It is true that we get to be partners with God and partner with God in building the kingdom. But it ain't our kingdom. It's God's kingdom. And we are also subjects within that kingdom. And it is a freeing and a joyful thing to be subjects of the king who is loving and kind and who shows us just how incredible God's love and forgiveness is. So I'm saying that the only way for us to change and receive the kingdom 
is to submit to God and admit we cannot do it on our own. This is not just another way of trying to earn our way to God. Rather, we are submitting, we are holding up a white flag and saying that we need God's help to live rightly. This is the start to every turnaround in relationship to God. This is the point that a group like Alcoholics Anonymous understands so clearly. Listen to the first seven steps of AA's 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable, right? If you took out the word alcohol and substitute whatever it is for you, then everything else will apply directly to your life. It's like John the Baptist is getting played out through the 12-step program. We admitted we were powerless, that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Number three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Number four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Number five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Number six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Number seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Do you hear these steps? What AA is doing all over the world is calling for the change of heart and life that John the Baptist calls for. We all need to be schooled in the 12 steps Maybe not for alcohol, but for trying to live righteously on our own. This is the change that John the Baptist is calling for, a change that admits that we cannot do it all on our own. The Pharisees all throughout Jesus' ministry are going to try and show, try and prove that they can do it all on their own. And all the while, they are focusing on the wrong thing. The king is in their midst literally, and they don't want to submit to the king's way. The Messiah has come, and they cannot see it. Instead, they call for his death. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. What a thrill. What a delight. Jesus is going to bring it into our very midst. Friends, let us prepare our hearts and submit our lives to the king so that we can live in his way and that we might recognize him when he comes. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.